thought about the question, what changed my life? Um, so many, so many things. But one of the things that sticks out to me is the value in an unexpected battle has changed my life. And I want to preface, I want to preface that with in no way, shape, or form am I giving credit to the enemy for changing my life. So, and we know that battles come from the enemy. And I always, I don't like it when I hear sometimes people say, well, you know, you know, God will strike you down to teach you a lesson or God will, you know, do, you know, or, or like I've heard people who have had cancer say that was the biggest, you know, biggest blessing in my life. Cancer was not a blessing in my life. A huge marital crash was not a failure in my life. Um, the things that the enemy has hit me hard with, I mean, a blessing in my life, the things that the enemy has hit me hard with that I don't credit him for what I have learned in them but I do I do want to say this there is nothing um, more meaningful me meaningful to me than to know that that there are these places that I think we put God unintentionally most of the time. Um, we just are people who compartmentalize our life, right? And God gets put into a section as well. Um, even though he is the God of the universe, we, we shrink him down into something that we can handle, something that our brain can think about um, because he is so far beyond the words that we could construct or uh, the ideas that we could formulate about him. And I think that 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 what I mean when I talk about the value that's found in an unexpected battle is that the things in my life that I felt like were satisfying or were not satisfying are always expanded to such a degree. He is expanded to such a degree when you come face-to-face -face with death or face-to-face -face with failure or face-to-face to, -face to a, a spot and a place where you are literally at your end. And also the God who is in the box, you feel like is at his end as well. And then you go through a battle and you go through something, you come out on the other side and you realize, oh my gosh, that box, that construct that I had put him in is nowhere near who he actually is. And so that is, that is what I mean um, when I say that the thing that I believe has, has changed my life, one of the things that's hard for me to, I'm, I'm a deep thinker, so it's hard for me to do just like a one-on, you know, just like this is just the thing. Um, but one of the things that has most greatly impacted me is just the joy that I have found in my Savior when I come through these things that, that have hit me that have been unexpected and how it has challenged me. My life verse, Phil, if you'll put the first scripture on there. Um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Um, that is that is my life's verse from the time I have come to know the Lord. I did not seek him to be satisfied. I didn't seek him for what I could get. But as I began to grow in my relationship with the Lord, I really took him at his word that if he says serving him on this planet, that we're given everything we need for life and godliness and we're giving, given all the pieces of hope that we need and joy that we need um, and every provision, then, then I just took him at his word that we should be living a very satisfied life. He is God. He's not just a God when we get to eternity, right? He is a God today. Now he is the God. And so he desires for us to live in that spot. And so that is kind of what I'm going to talk about tonight as I weave these two ideas together. So let's pray. Father, we just do thank you for being so great and gracious to us. Lord, I just personally thank you for a great season of life. I thank you for this summer, Lord, as I've got to spend time with family and friends and my daughters. I thank you, Lord, just for the sunshine and the 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 beaches and the pools and um, just the, the birds and the air, the clouds, just this season of life. Lord, this season that we're, we're even in, just in time. Lord, I am grateful. You're such a good God. You're filled, Lord, with so much um, 
just so much hope and I'm so thankful that you deposit that in me and that you share that with me and that that you and I are close and that I hear you and that you lead and that you follow. God, I just love you. I thank you for these people. I thank you for what you're doing in their life. I thank you, God, that, that even them being here on a Wednesday night, God, I know they are hungering after you and they're thirsting after you. I thank you that the promises of God that you have given to me are the same promises that they can walk in and live in. And Lord, I just decree over their life that they live a satisfied life, full to the overflowing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to continue talking about satisfied for a minute, a, bit, a little bit. Satisfied. Please are content with what has been experienced or received. Pleased or content with what has been experienced or received. Um, it bothers me sometimes that when I look at the life of, of God's people, I'm not sure that we are all satisfied. We're going to talk a little bit about exactly what this means with this list that is before you. Satisfied means to be content, to be convinced, to be fulfilled to be happy, to be pleased, a lot of other words, but those are the gist of what it means to be satisfied. And then here's unsatisfied, discontented, discouraged, depressed, frustrated, upset, and again, I just picked a few of them. I hope you guys get the idea of, of satisfied and unsatisfied. So without a show of hands tonight, I just want to ask you a question, a question that I have had to ask myself through my life, which is why I, I end up at that verse, that to serve him means I'm going to be satisfied, meaning to serve him, to, to hunger and thirst after him, to run hard after him, means that I'm going to be very pleased I'm going to be very content. I'm going to enjoy the things that I've experienced. I'm going to enjoy the outcome of the things that I had. If you had to ask yourself tonight, and if I gave you the mic, and you were the one speaking tonight, I just want to ask you, which column do you continually abide in? Are you satisfied in life? Or are you unsatisfied? Are you content or are you discouraged and depressed and downtrodden? Are you happy? Are you hopeful? Because serving God, the promise is from his very first sermon, that scripture in Matthew was from his very first sermon, where he's explaining to people and telling them what it means to be a part of the kingdom. I just don't feel like I see a lot of satisfaction in, in God's people. Um, and that's not I'm, not, I'm not trying to, you know, be discouraging when I say that, but I see a lot of people who are depressed, a lot of people who are despondent, a lot of people who are, who are wanting, a lot of people who couldn't hold um, a conversation where they can say, you know what, I'm, I, I am so content with the things that I've experienced. And so it, it produces this dichotomy of this thing that we're serving a God who's made this a promise. He's promised us, if you hunger and thirst after me, I'm going to give you that. And then there's this middle that I think, I'm not sure that we're living and abiding in that spot of being satisfied. And there, there was a young me um, before wrinkles and before, before everything else that happens um, as you age. There, there was a young me who, who was born again at the age of seven and... I don't know if it was that I was an only child. I don't know if it was that I was a romantic at heart. Um, I don't know. I mean, I do just, you know, The Notebook is my favorite movie where this old couple ends up actually dying together, just of old age together in love. You know, all the days. I'm just this hopeless romantic. So so there, there was a brief period of time as a youth that that I felt like Christianity was maybe just this silver platter that God had handed me that just was laden with all these gifts. And, and for, I felt like there were seasons that that's exactly what Christianity was. And I want you to hear me out on this because I do believe that Christianity is a silver platter that God hands us. 
He has given us the gift of life that no one can snatch from us. The Bible says nobody can take us from his hand. There is nothing that we can do to earn his gifts, nothing we can do to earn his calling, nothing we can do to earn how much that he loves us. But for a minute, do you remember those days when you're freshly born again and you feel like every prayer you pray... It's just like five minutes, you're up and you're like, oh my God, I mean, like, here's the answer right here, right now. And so I remember those days as a youth walking with the Lord, feeling like, well, yeah, I mean, I am so satisfied serving him. You know, I just run hard after him and every corner I go around, there is my answer. And then it's like somewhere along the way, uh, the adulthood of Christianity kicks in Anybody understand what I what I mean? And it's not that he has taken anything from me, but it's like the reality of fight the good fight of faith steps into the equation, right? And it, it, it's not like there's this change. It's not like he's playing games with us because we believe that his word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word is the same from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So theologically, we have to believe it's not that he's playing games with us. When he tells us it is the gift of life and it's free and all you have to do is believe and then there's the reality of there is a fight to this thing. Satisfaction, I'm not just going to wake up and just be satisfied because I'm a Christian. So what does it mean to hunger after him, to thirst after him, to run after him? What does the fight of faith actually mean so that my life can abide in the satisfied column? I don't just tap into it on occasion, but I abide there, meaning I continually live in a state of satisfaction. That means it would have to be something that's bigger than a circumstance. It would have to be something that's bigger than a battle that I'm going through. And and that, to me, is the most life-altering thing if we can get there. If we can get there where we're not driven by these circumstances, driven by these emotions, driven by our humanness, but we are actually living, breathing epistles of the Lord Jesus Christ that as we represent him throughout this planet, people can look at our lives and they can be jealous of it and yearn for it, not in a covetous kind of way where they're wanting our stuff, but in a way that says, you know what, whatever they're doing, whatever it is that they've got going on, that's what I want going on in my life. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be satisfied. Satisfied means that you've got more than enough. It doesn't just mean that your your cup is full. It, it's that you've got more than enough. And yet all along this road, we end up bumping into these things that, that cause us to realize that it's not just here, have it. It's something we have to apprehend something we have to contend for. The Bible says this in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. You can show those slides. Phil, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of an unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, and here's Paul talking about all of us as Christians who are supposed to be living satisfied lives, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, like I'm gonna have a battle? I thought I was God's kid. I thought I was just gonna believe in him and be satisfied. But after the battle, you'll still be standing firm, standing your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. There was a time in my life when I don't think that I fully comprehended I was in a war. I just really didn't. So I just, 
I really didn't. How many of you have ever had an unexpected fight? Probably if you're a boy or you raise boys, you understand the unexpected fight, right? I watch boys play and I'm like, how is that play? Like some kid hiding in the dark and then another child walks by and they just leap and jump and attack and tackle and there's a fight before you know it. Boys just live like that. Girls don't live like that. We don't. I remember in high school, my bestie, my very best friend, it was back before there were cell phones, before you could put on a dark screen, before there was Snapchat and Instagram where you could just type and it disappears. We wrote letters. Some of the young people downstairs don't know what that's like, but we wrote letters and then we folded them in nifty little ways, you know, and you would tuck the little piece in. Well, my locker was full of letters from a boyfriend, full of them. And one day, my best friend went to my locker. She got in my locker, and she found the letters that my boyfriend wrote me. Well, I didn't know that my boyfriend was also her boyfriend. Right? So, but instead of her getting mad at him because he wrote the letters, she got mad at me. And all of a sudden, I'm walking in a parking lot to my car in 10th grade, and my best friend comes around the corner wanting to fight me. Like, totally shocked, surprised, blown away. And I'm like, I mean, and I was no roller derby girl in the 80s. I mean, it wasn't me. I wasn't like some, some, you know, like, let me take you out kind of person. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, we are not going to fight right here in the parking lot. I mean, we're, we are popular people here. We are cheerleaders. We are liked. I make good grades. You make good grades. What the heck are you talking about? Right? Just wanting to fight me. The next day we're best friends. The guy's gone. All of that. But it was a big deal. Like the whole school was laughing because we almost fought. Surprise attack. Life is full of those surprise attacks. There is an enemy and he is strategizing against you. I had no idea about this. I mean, I had heard, right, that there's an enemy, but I really didn't, like, I didn't know that, you know, after I was 17 and I graduated and I ran off to ORU and life is good and God is answering all my prayers and it's all on a silver platter, I didn't know that years later I would be facing battles of anxiety. I never experienced anxiety before. Here I am raising children. All of a sudden, I'm having to make a decision between Christian school and public school. And I mean, anxious. So much anxiety that I thought I was going to have to go to the hospital the night before I was making my final decision for just one. This is just one of their years of education just laying in the bed, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Mark's like, what's wrong? I said, I don't know what's wrong, but I can't breathe. My stomach hurts. Just all the things. Panic attacks. I called the principal of the Christian school. I'm not getting four times in 24 hours. And I said, put their desk there. They're going to be there tomorrow. I'm taking them out of public school. You just put their desk there. You have them there. 20 minutes later, I'll come back. No, sir, I've changed my mind. Nope, just can't do it. So you take their desk out. He's like, okay. 20 minutes later, sir, I'm sorry. I've changed my mind. I mean, just paralyzed with perfection. Paralyzed that there's some perfect decision out in the universe and that if I don't find it, I'm just going to, my whole entire life is going to fall apart. Anxiety. I had no idea back there in college when I thought God was the silver platter kind of God just serving all my prayers up in an instant that I would have a health crisis. I didn't know that. I mean, like, I didn't know that then. Talk about an unexpected battle. You claim healing, believe healing, pray healing, lay hands on other people for healing, and you go to a doctor and he wants to tell you you've got cancer. I'm like, what? Right? I had no idea that my marriage would fall apart. I mean, we both love God. We're both running hard after God. He's preaching at one church. I'm closing out. He's driving to the other church, preaching there. I'm coming, meeting him for lunch. I'm doing a Wednesday night somewhere. He's doing a Wednesday night somewhere. And our marriage falls apart? Like, no idea. Just, boom. The unexpected. The unexpected battle. The Bible said this when it talked in this passage about the enemy. And and he told us that we were going to have to be prepared here because we've got one. And that he has an aim. Right? 
John 10, 10, the next slide, Phil, I don't know if it's John 10, 10 or the strategy side. Okay, strategy, which was talked about in Ephesians up above. Strategy, a plan of action or policy designed to achieve a major overall aim. The enemy is strategizing against us. So it's not that God hasn't gifted us and given to us and given us salvation. Paul makes it clear in this book, there is an enemy. And his goal, according to John 10.10, is that the next slide? What is the next slide? Yep, here we go. So um, Mark does these slides for me because I still don't know how to do them. And so we just hope, like our fingers are just crossed, that, that when I give him the notes, he gets it all right. And so it's going. We're good. All right. The thief's purpose, the enemy's strategy is to steal from us, to kill from us, and to destroy us. God's purpose, once again, is to give us what? A satisfied life. But we have an enemy who is trying to take that satisfaction from us at any, any way that he can get in and create chaos for us. If he can do it through anxiety, if he can do it through our checkbook, if he can do it through um, a problem with our kids, if he can do it through a problem with our health, if he can do it through a problem with our marriage, if he can stir stuff up up here, what he wants is to keep us unsatisfied. And we all ask ourselves at the beginning of the sermon, which column do we fit in? Are we discouraged, despondent, broken, full of doubt? Or are we hopeful? Do we actually enjoy the experiences that are going on in our life right now? Are we enjoying where we're at? So let me ask you this about a strategy. If tonight, like you're going home, if you're going home tonight and there was an enemy who was strategically, that means he's plotting, he's thinking, he's planning, he's conniving, he's studying, he's watching, your home and he's going to invade your home tonight would there be anything you would do differently there'd be a whole lot of stuff I would do differently a whole lot of stuff yet we enter into Christianity being plainly told told plain and clear plain and clear. You hunger and thirst after me, you're going to be satisfied. You run hard after me, you're going to be satisfied. Heads up. Be aware. I don't want you to not be aware. There is somebody who is studying you, thinking about you, watching you, looking for any nook and cranny that he can get in. And we just muddle through Oh boy, I mean, I guess he took my stuff today. He took my peace today. We just muddle through. Just, he took this and he took that. And, we, and we, we're not really bothered that we're not satisfied. And it's a part of our inheritance. It's what he gave us. He wants us to be satisfied. So we're going to look a minute at the life of David in 1 Samuel. I, I love David. There are so many characters in the Bible that I love, but I really, I really do love his story, um, the humanity of, of who he was, I think, is, is what I relate to so well. Um, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 30. And we're going to look at an unexpected battle that he faced and what he did. And to give you a little hindsight, uh, because David is all over several books of the Old Testament, um, a, a little bit of history. If you don't know, David was a little shepherd boy who was anointed to be king. It was many, many years after that um, moment that he was anointed and chosen that he actually became king. It was even many years after he defeated Goliath, what he is so known for, um, that he actually became king. Um, the prophecies were so great and the like to David was so great that Saul, who was king, hated David. He hated him with a passion. 
so to the point that he was pursuing him, not just for a minute, not just for a night or a week or two weeks or a month. He pursued him for years. And when we enter in this story, David had been on the run from Saul for 15 years at this point. So he had hidden in caves. He had he had, had to hide um, among other nations. His own nation would hide him from Saul. So it was just this constant pursuit. And so we find him in the book of 1 Samuel um, chapter 30, arriving home from a three-day journey. He had just gone to help Judah protect their land, but um, really at the end of the day, the rulers and elders there did not want him there because he, he just was too wanted by Saul. They said, we don't want you here. We want you to go back home. So he had left his people his countrymen, the people of God, he had left them and he had gone to, to participate in a battle that he was rejected from. So he's been fighting for 15 years. He's rejected on a three-day journey home. And here's where we pick up the story. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziglag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid so the enemy had made a raid into the Negev and Ziglag. They had crushed Ziglag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and the children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Let me explain something to you. That's worse than, I mean, there are times, how many of you are on vacation and you just can't wait to get home, right? You're just like, you want home, you want your own bed, you want your own bathroom, right? I mean, I have a thing, this is, this is TMI, I don't even know why I'm saying this, but I have a thing like, I don't go to the bathroom when I'm on vacation. So when I'm, when I'm home, I'm like, I, I want to be home. Imagine walking in and like Stella is in my bathroom. I'm like, move. So this is worse than that, right? He comes home expecting home, expecting to be home. His two wives are gone, family, children, all his men, all the armies around him, all of their wives and children were gone, all the jewelry, all the produce, all the cattle, everything gone. They raided it. They burned it to the ground. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about this too. So he's come home. Everything's been raided. The men that follow him look around and, and they're like, what the heck? We went with you and we come back to this. Everything gone. His men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk of stoning him but he found strength in the Lord. Back up just a minute. I want to look at something where it says they wept until they could weep no more. That's not being satisfied. How many of you have ever been in a spot in a condition where you're weeping until you just can weep no more? I've been there. Or you just, I mean, you are broken to the core. And this is where David finds himself. He finds himself broken. One of the lowest moments of his life. He had opportunity, just like we all do, in the middle of being broken. And just like some of his men were doing in the middle of being broken. Immediately, they began to look for blame. Immediately, they're mad at him, threatening to stone him. How many of us do that in our own life? We're broken and we're weeping and we can't cry anymore and we need somebody to, somebody needs to carry the weight of it. We look for blame. We look for pity. We retreat. We try to numb. We hide. We get bitter. We start making judgments. We start making plans. We get stale. Nobody likes me when I'm those things. When I'm stale and bitter and moody and weepy, nobody likes to be around me. 
And so many of us, that's what happens when the enemy comes in and he hits us with something that's totally unexpected. And too many of us live in that spot year after year after year after year after year. I remember when Mark and I fell apart and I've told this story, I went to a farmhouse and I felt like I could sit there for year after year after year after year. And don't get me wrong, there's a time for grieving, there's a time for mourning, there's a time for seeking the face of God. Go read the book of Psalms, David did it often. He cried to him from from a cave. But this moment, with this battle, Sometimes you have to make a decision and you have to say, I I mean, what am I going to do? Am I going to sit here forever? Are you? Are you going to sit there forever broken and in despair and despondent and miserable and confused and doubting and weeping? Are you going to sit there forever? I had to make a decision in the farmhouse. I'm not going to sit here forever. I mean, I can't just sit here and hang out. I have children to feed. I have a life to live. I have a God to serve. I don't want to miss my life just sitting there forever in a cave hiding because I'm ashamed or because I'm broken or because of of whatever or because I'm confused or conflicted or because I've done wrong or because the enemy has hit me. Who wants to just sit there forever? And yet we do. We do and we, we, we begin to put labels on ourselves and identify ourselves as broken and as traumatized. What is it now? My trauma, my trauma, like people identify with their trauma. My trauma this, my trauma that, my trauma. And I get it, we've been hurt. But you are a child of God. That's not your identity. You're his people. You're his chosen people. You're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. You're leaders, you're not followers. You belong to him. And so you have to stir yourself. And I love what David did in the middle of a moment when he could have, could have just given up or could have said, I mean, my gosh, 15 years? 15 years Saul's been chasing him. That's a long time. And yet in the middle, in the middle of that, he had an opportunity. He had an opportunity to sit there or he could strengthen himself in the Lord. And let me tell you something. There is nobody on this planet who can do, do your strengthening for you. If, if they could, believe me, I would go hire them. <laughs> because I am two years with, yes, I'm going to the gym. Yes, I'm going to be consistent. Yes, I go to kneel on the floor during worship and I'm like, how am I going to get up? Right? If I could make somebody do squats for me and lunges for me, believe me, I could do it. Nobody can do it for me. I'm the only person who can strengthen myself. And he made a decision that he was going to strengthen himself and the Lord. Some of you, instead of carrying around the baggage that you carry around and the identities that you carry around and the trauma that you carry around, the disappointment that you carry around, the frustration, and I get it, it's all real. I'm not suggesting it's not real, but I am suggesting there is something that trumps it. There is something that is more real that you have to make a decision. You are either going to live one way or the other. You're going to either fall into the satisfied column, enjoy your life, enjoy your experiences, be able to have a story, or you're going to fall in the dissatisfied life and you're not going to fulfill, you're you're going to make it to heaven, but you're not going to fulfill what God needed and wanted and provided for you to fulfill yourself in and walk in here on this planet. So go to the next slide, Phil, please. Here's the thought. In the middle of your deepest pain, you always get to choose whether to sit or move. And you get to choose to ask God, why the heck is this happening? Over and over and over. How many of y'all have done that? Over and over and over again. Or you can change your verbiage with him and you can say, what do I do? What do I do? There is always a next step with God. 
there is always a next step. Some of you have bought the lie that there is no next step, that this is it, just sign my tombstone with it because this is how it's going to be for the rest of my life. And there is a next step. And that's exactly what Saul did. I mean, what David did. He asked God, what am I supposed to do? Go to the next slide, Phil. He said to Abiathar, the priest, bring me the ephod. So he brought it. Then David asked the Lord. He asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Like these people who strategized against me and took all my stuff. Should I go after them? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. Absolutely everything. So David and his 600 men set out and they came to the brook Besor. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. When the enemy hits, I get that it's hard. I get that there's deep pain. I get that we can be in situations where we cry our eyes out. I get that we can be in situations where we are exhausted. How many of you have ever been tired? <laughs> How many of you are tired now? <laughs> right. I get tired sometimes. You know what I'm tired of? Sometimes I'm tired of cooking. I've been cooking for 30 years now, 33 tired of it. Sometimes I get tired of doing homework. I've been doing homework for what feels like 27 years with my children. It's tiring. I get tired of paying bills sometimes. It's tiring. I get tired of cleaning. I'm tired of it. I liked it when I was young. I don't like it now. It hurts. My feet hurt. My back hurt. Back to that exercise thing because I go to yoga for three weeks and then not again for four months. So, right? I get tired. Some of us are tired. Some of us are stupid tired because we make decisions that aren't beneficial for us. We're like little boys playing Fortnite all night. Right? And we're tired for stupid reasons. We do need to get rest. I'm not suggesting that we don't need to get rest or we don't need to organize our life in a way that causes us to not be tired. Some of us are tired because we overcommit. We don't know how to say no. We don't know how to have good boundaries for our life. Some of us are just tired of ourselves because we keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and it's not working for us. But we just go back to it out of habit and it causes us to be tired. There are a lot of reasons we're tired. Some of us are tired just of people. They irritate us. We get tired of, of that. There, there are a million reasons to be tired. But let me tell you something. I was with Monty, my newest granddaughter, this week at youth camp. And she did great until she got tired. You know what she did when she got tired? Her little mama would pick her up and just nuzzle her and nurse her and hold her and caress her. And she would scream for a few minutes and then she would go to sleep. You know how many times that happened during the day? Like seven times. Seven times her mama would just come pick her up and love her and nurse her and feed her. And if she was crying, she would pat her and take care of her. Babies get to sleep when they're tired. Adults sleep when the day's work is done. That is just what it means to be an adult. Sometimes I can get nine hours of sleep, very rarely. Do you know that if I get nine hours of sleep, I feel the same way that I do when I wake up and I've only gotten four hours of sleep, <laughs> right? I don't want to get up yet. Tired is not an excuse. It's just part of being an adult. We work hard. Tired. 200 men left just because they were tired. 
David and God are pretty good to those men, though, that we'll find that out in just a minute. So we've got to decide that, that it doesn't matter what answer God gives us, that if we're tired, we are still going to strengthen ourselves in him and do what it is he asked us to do. If we go back to the, the answer that God gave him was when, when David said, should I go back? Should I, should I pursue them? Am I going to be able to catch them? And God said, yeah, go get your stuff. Part of me is just, I think I maybe would have said, I've been running for 15 years. And I just, I've been going for three days straight. And now all my stuff's gone. My men are mad at me. Why don't you just this one time? Why don't you go get my stuff for me? And bring it back to me. I'm tired. Sometimes we don't like God's answer. Sometimes we ask him what we're supposed to do about a particular situation. And he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to forgive. And our head is screaming. That is just not the answer I wanted. Sometimes we ask him, like, do I really have to do A, B, C, or D? And he's like, yeah, you have to do A, B, C, or D. And... In order to be satisfied, we can't take our relationship with God and treat him like he's some sugar mama, daddy, and we're just a little baby. The Bible talks in the New Testament about growing up, about not being babies anymore, but being mature people able to handle the meat of God's word whatever it is that he's told us to do. The answer wasn't sit here. The answer wasn't retreat. The answer wasn't go back. I'll handle it for you in a few years. The answer wasn't even go take a nap. But his answer was, yeah, your stuff's there. Your stuff's there. You're going to get it all back. But you got to go get it. you got to go get it. Look at verse 11. I think that's where we're at. Yep. Along the way, not before the way, not way before the way, not the night before the way, not two weeks before the way, along the way, meaning along the way, not before he started the way, along the way. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake, two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. Along the way, before long, his strength returned. Sometimes the only way to get strength is to do something that requires strength. That is the only way to get strength. You have to start some way, somewhere. I am not a boy and I did not raise sons, but I do have daughters who work out. The only way to get stronger is to lift heavier weights. If you want bigger muscles, you have to lift heavier weights. You have to decide in your life that you, you are willing to do what it takes to gain strength. Not to sit in these cycles of repeat, cycles of repeat over and over and over and over and lack and unsatisfaction is your fruit and yet you sit there, just cycles of repeat because it's too hard, it's too uncomfortable, it doesn't feel good, it doesn't make me happy, it's not the answers I want, it requires me to trust him, it requires me to step out before I feel ready, before I feel secure, before I feel like I can, before I have an answer. And we just live in these places. So before long, his strength returned. 
So he led David to them. They found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything, everything the Amalekites had taken and he rescued his two wives. I love verse 19. Nothing. What did we talk about in the beginning about being satisfied? Nothing was missing. Nothing was missing. Some of you are missing portions of your peace and portions of your joy and portions of your finances and portions of your marriage and portions of your children's lives and portions of your sanity and portions of your godliness, portions of your spirituality, portions of all of you are missing and scattered just all over the place. And the Bible says here that nothing was missing, small or great. Small or great son or daughter, nor anything else, every piece of jewelry that they took, every cattle that they took, every piece of cookware that they took, every person that they took, every son, every daughter, nothing, absolutely nothing that had been taken was missing. David brought everything back. He brought everything back. This unexpected battle that hit him on the side of the head out from nowhere that caused him to weep and be despondent and despair, he brought everything back. The next slide, when he arrived at Ziglag, David sent part of the plunder to the elders of Judah who were his friends. This is amazing to me. This takes me back to my life verse in Matthew 5 where we started. Here is a present for you. Here is a present from you, take, for you taken from the Lord's enemies, he said. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the things in your life that bring you satisfaction? Can you imagine having more than enough peace that is not just enough peace for you, but it spills out onto your spouse? More than enough joy that it's not just joy that causes you to be satisfied, but it fills out on your friends at work who are in despair. More than enough that you have presence of all the little things that satisfy you. Presence of them wrapped up that you can take and you can give to Carmelo and Eva. Just presence that you can take and you can just pass out and just hand them to others. Instead of you always being in lack and want and need and without, that's what it means to be satisfied to me. Next. When we trust our next step to God, our next step to him, the very next thing that we're going to do, our reward is more than we could ever expect more than we could think. It's more than we can imagine. It's how big of a God he is. It's more than when we go to the, the end of David's life story, he, um, he doesn't get to build the temple. His son Solomon does that. But he's having a conversation with his son at the very end of the day of the years of his life and he's handing him plans and he's handing them everything that, that has to be done and he says this to him in Chronicles. First Chronicles, verse 28. Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Is that something that you can say to your children? Can you say to your children before you pass on, hey, buddy, here, here's one thing that I need you to do. I need you to learn to know the God of your ancestors. Does your life with God make such an impact and a difference with them that if they went to do that, that they would think, heck yeah, I'm gonna do that because mom and dad were so satisfied 
grandma and granddaddy lived such a good life, so satisfied. Learn to know it intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. And if you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. The next verse, and here it is. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. There is no temple that we're required to build other than this one right here. We are his temple. He lives, he moves, he breathes, he has his way on the inside of us, the Bible says. It is required that we build this temple for him. And the same way that David looks at Solomon and he says, you need to be strong and you need to do the work. I believe it's what God wants to say to every one of us tonight. There is a place that he longs for us to be in Matthew 5, 6, where he says, blessed is he who hungers and thirsts after me because he's going to be satisfied. And time and time and time again, I feel like the unexpected bumps and hills that life throws our way rob that from us. We're tired and we give up and we don't want to fight and we don't want to go get our stuff and we're missing it. We're just missing it and it saddens me. It saddens me. Go to the next slide. It's a prayer that I pray. There have been many, 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 many times in life when God has required things of me that I don't want to do or that, or that I want to do, like I know I need to do them, but it's like Peter stepping out, right? Like, you know you want to walk on water, but God, don't make me walk on water, you know? just where fear and anxiety would try to creep in or doubt or wondering, is he really going to meet me at the end of the day? I remember, I mean, I had not spoken in front of, I don't know, I don't know, maybe maybe the, size, the amount of people that were in here and I was at a conference um, where I knew the president of the meeting. There were 2,000 women there and a hurricane had come through and one of the women could not get off of the plane. And I was young. I was like maybe 24. I think I had Olivia. I was young and I'm registering and he sees me at the desk and he's like, oh my God, Robin, I'm so glad you're here. You're going to speak for me tomorrow night. I'm like, I am not going to speak for you tomorrow night in front of 2,000 women and I'm 24 and I've got a baby and no, and I have no plan and no notes, but you know what? God's like, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Right? There have been moments I've just had to depend on him. I've just had to say, if this is what you want me to do, then I'm going to do it. If it has been forgiveness, or if it's been giving, or if it's been sowing, if it's required a shovel and sweat and tears, if it's required fasting, going without food, if it's required sitting in a prayer closet, if it's required me to read a book or to get educated, or if it's required whatever it has been, and I've just had to, I've just had to stand at the edge and say, yes, yes, I will. Yes, because I want to be satisfied. And here's what I do every time. Every time I'm at one of those crossroads that's hard and I'm tired and I feel like I don't want to and I feel like it's inconvenient and I feel like I'm not sure what the outcome is going to be and I'm, I feel like I'm not sure I can trust him and I feel nervous or I feel shaky or I feel all the things like I want to quit or give up or throw in the towel. I just have to stop. I have to remember there's an enemy who's looking any crack or crevice any spot he can get in to take my satisfaction from me to take it from me and I say nope I say alright here we go and I just take a deep breath and I breathe the Holy Spirit in 
just breathe them in. I ask him, like, Holy Spirit, you need to breathe on me. Here I go. You need to show up and you need to bring me peace. And there are some of you all who are lacking satisfaction in your life. And this needs to be your prayer. Stand to your feet tonight with me.